Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. This is episode three of the podcast, and we will continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John, taught by the rector of St. Bartholomew's, Father Arthur Ward. In this episode, Father Ward unpacks verses 6 through 18 of chapter 1. He will also recap verses 1 through 5, which he unpacked in more detail during episode 2 of this podcast. If you're starting to listen to this podcast now, we invite you to check out the first two episodes to get caught up to speed with this study. We want to thank you for listening, and we pray you are blessed by what you're about to hear as we turn it over now to Father Ward. Okay, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here safely, and we thank you for this opportunity to study your holy word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whom the scriptures testify to and about and call us to new life in him. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would help us to see clearly what is being said in the Gospel of John through the Gospel of John and help us to really appreciate the great salvation that we have in Christ and that that salvation is in the life that we have, not just in the here and now, but of the eternal life that is promised to all of us who believe. We thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what I'd like to do is just kind of briefly review uh, last week, what we talked about last week before getting right into John chapter 1. Uh, if you recall, we looked at uh, the first five verses of chapter 1, but we also looked at some preliminary questions, and that is, number one, why the gospel of John? Why is, why is there this gospel? Uh, and we found that uh, the Apostle John gives us the purpose for writing his gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, the apostle writes, Therefore, many other signs, and remember signs, that's the uh, English for the Greek word that means something that points to a reality greater than itself. So just like a sign is something that points you to a specific place uh, or shows you something that is greater than itself, so too the signs that are uh, written in the Gospel of John are described in the Gospel of John, those things that Jesus did are meant for a purpose. And so he says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the signs that he includes, have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we have really a threefold purpose of John's gospel that he highlights. First of all, he writes it so that we know who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, that is, he's the Messiah, the one predicted by the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures, of the Jewish faith, the coming one, the anointed one, that he is the Christ, the son of God, and that's a divine title that he is uniquely the son of God. And that if we put our faith in him, if we trust in him, we will have life. And of course, that life is in his name, the essence of who he is. You think of a name, the name is your most personal designation. And so when Paul or when John writes that we will have life in his name, it means that we will be able to experience a life full of purpose and meaning and a life that will not end. 
And so the purpose of John writing is to show us who Jesus is and that if we trust in him, we will have life both in the here and now abundant life and in the future eternal life. And then thirdly, what that belief looks like. Belief, the most common word used in John's gospel, pisteo, to believe, it's used 98 times and it is articulated in a variety of expressions. In other words, when John talks about believing, when Jesus says to believe, it isn't just meaning in our heads. It means with our hearts. And if it means in our hearts, then there's going to be certain actions. So these are just outward demonstrations of what is, should be in our heart. Who is John? We know it's John the Apostle because the author of the book identifies himself, not by name, but he says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. In other words, he had a special inner relationship with uh, the Lord. He was one of the three inner circle, James and John, brothers, remember, sons of Zebedee, and then Peter. And so he identifies, the apostle John identifies himself uh, at the end there. He describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. And then he writes, this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So the disciple whom Jesus loved is the author of John's gospel. And he identifies himself as such. And he was with Peter. And he was at the cross when Jesus said to him, this is your mother, referring to his uh, mother Mary. And he told John the apostle, this is your mother. And, and Mary, this is your son. Remember the apostle John was a first cousin of Jesus. So in a church tradition, the earliest uh, of the church fathers attribute John's gospel to the Apostle John. So this is from him, and it's why you'll see as we unpack chapter 1 that he includes a lot of details that only an eyewitness, someone right there, would be able to include. That's something to keep in mind. We looked at the uh, region here. I did a little more research because there was questions about uh, Galilee, and the fact of the matter is that Galilee, you see up in the north, uh, that was inhabited predominantly by Jewish folks. Jesus uh, grew up in Galilee, up around there. You see Nazareth, kind of down a little bit there. Keep going down right there. There's Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Um, but Galilee was separated partially by Samaria. And the Samaritans, they were descendants of the northern kingdom of Israel. They had intermingled with other peoples. Uh, they had a lot of the same beliefs as the Jewish folks, but they had changed some things. And so Jews looked down on the Samaritans. And so the heart of the Jewish faith was down in the south there in Judea. You'll see Jerusalem, but then you had Samaria, but then Galilee, there was a large Jewish community north. Uh, and then of course, the Decapolis would be Gentile and Perea. And remember, Gentile is a reference to people who are not Jewish. Now the Nicene Creed, we uh, closed with this last week. In the Nicene Creed, we state that we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. That statement comes out of Scripture. And one of the main passages of Scripture that form a foundation for that statement of belief is John's gospel, and specifically John chapter 1. Now, it isn't just John chapter 1. There are other passages in the scriptures 
But the reason why we can say these things that we believe in comes right from Scripture. What the Apostle John wrote, what he testified to, what Jesus said, all of these things confirm what we believe. And note that John uses the word testify often. This is the testimony. This is what I testify. This is what they testify to. Think of testimony. When do you use that term? Testimony in a court of law. That you are testifying that something happened. This is your experience, your eyewitness experience. That's why when we talk about sharing our faith with others, it is important to have what is called a personal testimony. Testifying to what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You are bearing witness to the transformation that has occurred as a result of following Jesus Christ. And of course, a testimony, a true testimony, can't come from unless there's some testing and there's a lot of moaning, right? So just remember that, a testimony, right? Life's not easy. It is God who gets us through uh, the hard times. Now, I would like you to open up the Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can find one right in the pew. John chapter 1. And uh, we're going to briefly review the first five verses. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to unpack this verse by verse. I'm going to comment on each passage, each phrase. If anyone has a question, don't be afraid to raise your hand. And if I don't see you, speak up. Over here, Father Ward, to say that. Okay, in the beginning was the Word... And remember, there's one other time in the scriptures where we have in the beginning, and that's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. So here we have, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So we have like two things going on here, remember? You've got the word, he's in the beginning, he's already there. He's before time and space was created. Just there, just is. He is God, but he's with God. And so that's a, for anybody that's like, whoa, what, what, what's being said here? But that's the starting point. John is going to unpack it more and more as we go through this chapter. And the Word was God. Okay, so the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So that means everything that's part of the created order came through Him and was because of Him. The Word took action in creation itself in him was life and the life was the light of men and so he is the source of life he is the one who maintains life and we see now the metaphor but it is more than just a metaphor of light and if you recall last week we talked about how you cannot have life without light natural light you need in order to see the world around you and to do things. Even if you're blind, you will not succeed unless you have people who can see to help you. And spiritually, we will not be able to understand and see things clearly in a spiritual sense unless we have the light, the spiritual light that only comes from God. Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. That's what that can remain. Comprehend means to be able to control it for yourself. Darkness can't do that. And that's why a light will always dissipate the darkness. Darkness will not, is impossible to overcome the light. The only way darkness will work is if you remove the light. That's it. And so the absence of God ultimately is evil. God does not create evil. 
Evil is simply the absence of God. Evil is when we stand and rebel against God and go against him. God didn't create that. That's us. That's our doing. And so we need to remember that theologically. Some people like to say that God created evil and that evil and good are equal. They aren't. Those are the first five verses. Now we go to the new. First, John, the apostle, the writer of the gospel, sets forth the foundation, the word, and what the word has done, and the importance of the word. word was with God and the word was God. Now he then starts to go to the time of Jesus, and he highlights the testimony of John the Baptist. Now, when you think of John the Baptist, what do you think of? You think of a righteous, powerful prophet who was not concerned about the things of this world, who was willing to call hypocrisy out, who followed the Lord, who was a holy man, a man of prayer, who separated himself from the worldly pursuits. He was a great prophet, and as a result, he had a great following. In fact, the first disciples of Jesus were formerly disciples of John the Baptist. And notice what John the Apostle says. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. So this isn't John the Apostle, this is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Remember, what is the purpose of this gospel? That you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, the whole narrative of the gospel from John 1 through the end is the tension that comes between those who believe and those who don't believe. The whole gospel is a series of encounters, personal encounters with the living God, Jesus, and how people respond in those encounters. We have some who say, yes, I trust and I believe, and some who don't believe. And then you can see what happens as a result. And that tension between belief and unbelief culminates in the climax where those who don't believe put Jesus to death. And yet Jesus is vindicated and is victorious through his resurrection. That's so important when you think about it, because you see, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, what would that mean? That would mean falsehood had triumphed over truth. That would mean darkness has triumphed over light. That would mean that death has triumphed over life. That would mean evil has triumphed over good. That's what it would mean if Jesus did not rise again. That's why it's so important that we recognize that not only that there's a God, but that good overcomes the bad in this life. Life overcomes death. And the only way we can know that for sure is through the person of Jesus Christ. No other religion makes those claims. No other religion can back those claims up. No other element of life can give us such hope. Science certainly can't. The business world can't. The entertainment world can't. The politicians can't. Only Christ. And so, John continues and he says, He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now that's important. He's going to start to repeat some things. The apostle's going to write this, and John the Baptist is going to repeat this. 
And it's always going to be deflecting from John the Baptist and bringing attention to Jesus. Because the, the temptation for us, the temptation for mankind is always to follow someone or something else other than Jesus. Or to follow someone or something else alongside of Jesus. That's always the temptation. But Christ and the gospel doesn't allow us the luxury of making that choice. I mean, we have that luxury, but if we truly are going to grow in the Lord, we can't fall into that trap. And so, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. The true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be enlightened. What it means is the potential for enlightenment, for spiritual enlightenment, for spiritual, aha, I get it now, can only come through this true light. Any other means, any other way, you might have some light, there might be some good, but you're still not going to totally get it. Lines ever. He was in the world. That's the light now. And the world was made through him. Remember the word and the light, the same. And the world did not know him. In other words, the world couldn't figure him out. The world just couldn't come up with him. The world couldn't make him up. The world did not know him. Did you, did you know? You're not going to know unless he shows himself to you. He came to his own. Who's his own? The Jews. Of course, he is Jesus. And those who were his own did not receive him. Why was Jesus crucified? The leadership and the spirit of the mob. His people rejected him. That's why he was crucified. Now, certainly the Romans had a hand in it too. But here's the promise. The first promise of John's gospel. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. Isn't that an awesome promise? So what is being said here is even though the Jews rejected Jesus, salvation is not solely for the Jews. Salvation is for anyone who simply believes, who simply trusts in him. And if I believe in Jesus, that means I'm going to receive him. And that action of receiving means that it is being given to me. I did not earn it. I did not work for it. I did not figure it out. I was not born into it. Hence, who were born not of blood, some Jewish people thought, and some may still do, and it doesn't matter if even non-Jews, if you fall into this trap, to think that I can be born into the kingdom. We're not born into anything. We're born in sin. We're born in this natural world. So who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That is, I can't do it on my own. I can't figure it out on my own. It's not by my making or doing, or the will of man. It's not by someone, what someone else says. But I am spiritually born of God. It's only through the power of God. And the beautiful thing is, the power of God will come upon anybody who says, Yes, Lord, I believe. I want to receive what you have for me. 
Very simple. We make it complicated. To verse 14. So who is this light? Who is this word? Who was rejected by his own? Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what the incarnation means. God who existed before time and space, the Word actually took on flesh and He dwelt, He walked among those inhabitants of the earth. He walked the dusty roads of Judea and Samaria and Galilee. He actually stepped down into history, into time and space. And John writes, and we saw His glory. Personally experienced it. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Begotten means that you're just coming forth from eternally. You don't have a beginning. You just come forth. And so now we have this relationship that is being highlighted because we've talked about the Word and the Word becomes flesh, but the Word is, has a Father. And so... This Word becomes flesh. He is the only begotten from the Father. And He is full of grace and truth. John, referring to John the Baptist, testified about Him and cried out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before Me. If you remember last week when we did briefly touch on this, this is an powerful verse because it's John the Baptist testifying that Jesus is greater than he is because he actually existed before John the Baptist even though John the Baptist was physically older than Jesus because if you remember they were first cousins and John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. If you remember the account Elizabeth his mother and how when Mary came and let Elizabeth know that she was pregnant with Jesus, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb left for joy. And the baby at that point, I believe, was six months old. So it's very profound. John the Baptist is not just bearing witness to who Jesus is, that he is great, that he is the true light, but that he existed before he even existed. He existed before he was even born of the Virgin Mary. Verse 16. For of His fullness we have all received. There's that word again, received. Not earned. Not accomplished. And grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now for the Jews, two of the main pillars of their faith, Moses and the law. Moses was the greatest leader in Judaism. The law was a symbol and an outward testimony of their special relationship with God. God said that this law I'm going to give you so that you will know what it means to follow me, so that you can be blessed, and so that the nations will see you as a light as you follow my law. And so the Jews felt very good and blessed that they had the law of God. And yet, grace does not come from the law. The law shows us that we need grace. 
And while the law includes truth, the law of God is not the whole truth. God himself embodies truth. Jesus, the word made flesh, is full of grace upon grace. He is full of truth. Hence, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So there's a statement of truth. No one has seen God. Only the Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, which indicates a close, intimate relationship between the two, has explained, and that word explain means to show specifically who and what is being shown. And so it's the Son who shows us the Father through what He has said, and through what he has done. So that when I see Jesus, as we will find out further in the gospel, so many examples of Jesus saying that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we see Jesus, if we listen to what he has said, if we understand the wisdom that pours forth from him, his mouth, then it's the same as that of the Father's. And so that's why, as Christians, we believe that Jesus shows us fully who God is, what God requires of us, the nature of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God. It's all demonstrated and explained by Jesus Christ. And again, I ask you, where else will you find the nature of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the authority of God, the character of God, most fully expressed outside of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You've been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. For more information about the church, including a list of our service times, please visit our website at www.stbartston.org. Again, that's www.stbartston.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. Both will help in reaching more people with this podcast. If you're on Facebook, head over to facebook.com slash transformingliveStogetherPodcast. Again, that's facebook.com slash Transforming Lives Together podcast and give us a like. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Peter's first letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God bless.